Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Well, have you ever taken some time intentionally or even unintentionally to look at the world around you and marvel at the rampant injustice and brokenness all around? Do you ever just look around and say, man, just things are wrong in this world? In a way that burdens your heart, does that ever happen to you? Do you ever survey the church of Jesus Christ and lament over its weakness? The rampant rise of false teaching all over the world, the increase of biblical illiteracy, the shocking absence of discernment, the appalling inability to dwell together in unity. You ever just look at the church and find your heart burdened? This shouldn't be. This is just too much wrong. Do you ever look at your marriage or your family and consider the dysfunction and the brokenness and the selfishness and the constant tension and the battle that rages in your heart that just things sometimes don't just get resolved the way they need to be. And you, you look at that and you think to yourself, man, this burdens me, burdens my heart. Well, maybe some of you feel that burden today. As you look at the world, as you look at the church, as you look at your family, and things are burdening your heart, maybe today, in a way that you look at the circumstances of your life, you look at the circumstances of the world, and, and the thought comes to your mind, is there any end in sight? Things are hard. I've been in that place. Days becoming weeks and weeks becoming months and months becoming years and crying out from within to God, I just don't see an end in sight. There's a burden we're carrying. And I find for my desperate and despairing heart and for yours, there is this beautiful small book in the Bible called Habakkuk. God provides this short little book called Habakkuk. I want you to take your Bibles now and turn there with me in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. And maybe you're sitting there saying, what is Habakkuk? Well, Habakkuk is a book in the Bible. If you want to know how to find it, just go to the Old Testament all the way to the end and reverse. And there you'll find from Malachi to Zechariah to Haggai to Zephaniah, you'll find then Habakkuk. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a bit of the context of the book of Habakkuk because this is the book where we're going to be for the next few weeks. Today we're starting a series going verse by verse through the book of Habakkuk, and the series is entitled Habakkuk, Waiting on God When There's No End in Sight. There's much in this book to teach us. So while you're turning to the book of Habakkuk, just a few things. 
First, Habakkuk is one of 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament. They're called minor prophets not because they're less important. They're just called minor because they're short. And so there are 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Habakkuk is one of them. Interesting to note before we jump in that we don't really know much about the prophet Habakkuk. We, in fact, don't know anything about him apart from what's told to us in this book. And even here in Habakkuk, we're not told very much about the man. One commentator, Wayland Bailey, helpfully points out that what we do know about Habakkuk is very significant for our lives and for the challenges facing people spanning all throughout history. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote this. It's really all we know about him based on what is written in Habakkuk. Habakkuk took the concerns that troubled him and his fellow citizens to God. Such an action shows he was, this is what we know about him, he was an honest doubter, contemplative and speculative by nature, with moral and ethical sensitivity, who searched for truth, maintaining profound reverence for God with a deep personal faith. That's what we know, and that's what we're going to discover about Habakkuk. And that's what we're going to learn from Habakkuk, how to assess the injustices of the world, how to look at the circumstances of your life that don't make sense, how to, in fact, go beyond this sense of disillusionment and into the realm of genuine, pure trust in God, how to learn how to wait on God. Now, you need to get ready, loved ones, because there's a lot for us in this book that can really transform the way we live. Because I suggest to you that we are a people who know very little about what it means to trust God and wait on God. We are a society that wants things fast, and we want things our way, and we want things immediately and clarified immediately, but that's not the way God works. In fact, we'll discover in the book of Habakkuk and even in our text today that some of the most profound work God wants to do in our lives is in the waiting. It's in the learning to wait and to trust, and we'll find that the deepest expressions of genuine trust in God are often found in the soul that learns, that is formed to wait on God. Habakkuk chapter 1 is where we're going to start, and today we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. Look with me in your Bibles. Habakkuk chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4, this is what it says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never 
goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. In my Bible and in yours, probably this section is entitled Habakkuk's Complaint, and we'll see a series of interactions throughout this book. Habakkuk complains, he laments, he prays essentially, and God responds. And we're going to learn so much beginning with this foundational, simple, yet profound truth. Let's start with this. When your heart is burdened, here's point number one, take it to God in prayer. All right? That's the first thing I want to show you from Habakkuk chapter 1, namely in verse 1. I want you to notice this. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle is translated burden or load. And what's being described here is an oracle, a burden that's being laid upon the heart of the prophet Habakkuk by God. It's a burden that he sees. His eyes are open to the reality of the world and what's happening around him. God is showing it to him and he's enlightened and he's burdened. He's carrying a load. Notice it again in verse 1. The oracle or the burden that Habakkuk the prophet Notice, saw. Now, before we get into the context and the backdrop of Habakkuk's prophecy, there's something very important and unique to Habakkuk that I want you to see, and it's this, that while every other Old Testament prophet mainly speaks to the people on behalf of God, Habakkuk is unique in that he speaks to God on behalf of the people. Habakkuk is a man of prayer. In other words, Habakkuk sees an oracle, Habakkuk receives a burden, and Habakkuk is so weighed down by what he sees that he takes what he's received, the burden that's placed upon his heart, he takes it right back to God in honest prayer. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time or you've been in church for a long time and you think, take it to the Lord in prayer, I know I've sung about that so many times. I understand all that stuff. Let me just encourage you to stop and slow down. God has something for us today. This reality of Habakkuk's interaction with his God It's this intimate and honest interaction between Habakkuk and his God in prayer that will be the key to the powerful conclusion that he arrives at at the end of his book. So, spoiler alert, by the time we get to the end of the book of Habakkuk, we will find a prophet who has changed, who has learned how to trust God no matter how catastrophic the circumstances are around him. And we will find a prophet who has learned to wait on God in prayer. No matter how long it takes to see and receive his answers. And no matter what his answers are. Just consider that. There's a depth here, a depth that takes us beyond the shallow surface of 
maybe in your mind, okay, I just pray about the things that are burdening my heart and God answers immediately. No, there's a depth, there's something God wants to do in prayer. There's a transformation that God wants to bring about in our hearts through prayer. And it's not only through the reality of answered prayer, but it's mainly and profoundly in the reality of waiting on God and being strengthened in that waiting. And being given the perspective that in my lifetime, God's goal for me and you is our sanctification. God's will for us is our sanctification. It's that we are being changed. It's we are being transformed. It's that we are learning to trust him truly. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a guy that just throws out flippant Christian cliches like trust God, wait on God. This is where the rubber meets the road in Habakkuk. I want to be the kind of Christian. I want our church to be filled with the kind of Christians who actually have it as our experience, the transformation of the heart that brings about a genuine trust that no matter what is happening around us, no matter what the injustice is around us, no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter what the dysfunction is in our family, that we have genuinely learned how to wait on God, take it to the Lord, to take it to the Lord in prayer. This is profound. On the screen for you, J.C. Ryle wrote a powerful and convicting work entitled, A Call to Prayer. Listen to what he wrote very carefully. He wrote, I have a question to offer you. It is contained in three words. Do you pray? The question is one that none but you can answer. Whether you attend public worship or not, your minister knows. Whether you have family prayers in your house or not, your relations know. But whether you pray in private or not is a matter between yourself and God. He says, I beseech you in all affection to attend to the subject I bring before you. Do not say that my question is too close. If your heart is right in the sight of God, there is nothing in it to make you afraid. Do not turn off my question by replying that you say your prayers. It is one thing to say your prayers and another thing to pray. Do not tell me that my question is unnecessary. He goes on. I cannot see your heart. I do not know your private history in spiritual things, but from what I see in the Bible and in the world, I am certain I cannot ask you a more necessary question than that before you. Do you pray? He goes on, listen. There is a way by which any man, however sinful and unworthy, may draw near to God the Father. Jesus Christ has opened that way by the sacrifice he made for us upon the cross. He says there is an advocate, an intercessor, always waiting to present the prayers of those who come to God through him. He says there is the Holy Spirit, ever ready to help our infirmities in prayer. He says, there is a friend ever waiting to help us. 
if we will unburden our sorrow to Him. Jesus can make those happy who trust Him and call on Him, whatever be their outward condition. He says, prayer can lighten crosses for us, however heavy, and it can bring down to our side one who will help us to bear them. It's a good question. Do you pray? You know, I found moments in my life where a preacher would say something and my immediate response is, yep, got it. But if I stop, if I stop, if I stop jumping the gun, if I stop rushing, if I just stop to listen, to really honestly answer the question, I find, no, I'm not doing what I'm being challenged to do. So here's the question for you and for me. Do you pray? Commentator Waylon Bailey writes, we tend to talk about God rather than to God. And we tend to complain about God rather than complaining to him. He says, Habakkuk took his complaints directly to God. This is the first and most foundational thing I want you to see because here's our tendency. When a burden is laid upon our hearts, perhaps when our eyes are open to injustices around us, when we see how things go so wrong, when we get so weary of the world, we always and often are prone to go talk to someone else or to talk about God's relating, relating to this circumstances, rather than stopping to go directly to God and to make your complaint, your lament, your concern to him, to lay down your burden to him. This, loved ones, I suggest to you, is the power that is missing in so many of our lives. That we need to strengthen the muscles of prayer. We need to strengthen the reflex that Habakkuk shows us here. When a burden is laid upon our hearts, that our reflex would be to take it to God in prayer. So, have you done that this week? Is that your instinct or your reflex? Do you want it to be your instinct and your reflex? This is so fundamental and foundational to the Christian life. What Habakkuk models for us here, when your heart is burdened, take it to God in prayer. That's the starting point, and I want you to get your hearts around that. And I want you to get your minds around that, because it will surely shape your perspective in the midst of your struggles. But when your heart is burdened, take it to God in prayer. Secondly, this, when your heart is burdened, listen, seek God with honest questions and reverent complaints. You say, hold on, doesn't the Bible say do everything without complaining and grumbling? Complaint here, what we're talking about is a lament. 
a lament. What we see unfolding here in Habakkuk is something that many of us don't realize is available to us as Christians in our prayer lives, that we can seek God with honest questions and reverent complaints or laments. Now, some of us feel like we have to zip our lip when it comes to laments, like somehow we're doing something wrong. But from our text, I want to show you the two questions that have really marked and overwhelmed every burdened heart throughout the history of the world. And here are these two questions. How long and why? When the, the, the burdened heart sees the, the injustices around them, when the heart is overwhelmed by wickedness and wrongdoing, and when the heart is weary by all that's wrong in the world, these are the classic questions. How long is this going to last? And why is this happening? Whether you just got diagnosed with cancer or your boyfriend just broke up with you or there's not enough money in the bank or your employer is making your life miserable or your government is growing oppressive or lies and propaganda are filling society or evildoers are prospering while you keep getting the short end of the stick. Whatever it may be, the burdened heart always says and asks these two questions. How long and why? The question is, how are we asking these questions? And to whom are we asking these questions? I want you to see, loved ones, that these questions are not wrong. In fact, Habakkuk's faith is seen in the fundamental action of seeking God in the first place and in his reason for seeking God, Habakkuk seeks God with such honest questions and reverent complaints precisely because he knows just how righteous and good <clears throat> and just God is. So because Habakkuk understands the holiness of God, he appropriately expresses his faith in God through these very questions. You see, there's a way to ask a question. There's a way to present a lament to God that actually flows from a high view of God. I want you to notice it in the text, verses 2 to 3. Habakkuk prays, O Lord. Right away, I want you to notice that he uses the personal covenant name of God. Notice now his questions for Yahweh. He says, O oh Lord, notice it, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Notice question number two. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? How long and why? I want us to understand a bit more of the context of Habakkuk's questions and complaints here. It helps us understand what God's Word has for us today. Habakkuk's prophecy comes probably around the, the final quarter of the 7th century BC. And his prophecy comes off the heels of King Josiah's reign, his reforms, and his 
eventual death. You can read about that in 2 Kings 22 to 23. A bit of the context of Habakkuk's questions. Why is he lamenting so much to God? King Josiah was a very good king, and he did very good things for the people of Israel. By the time Josiah took the throne, he was eight years old, by the way. By the time he took the throne, he had seen that Israel had degenerated and completely abandoned the law of God. They didn't even know where the book of the law was. They lost the covenant. Under kings who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, Israel continued to decline. We see that in 2 Kings 21. Israel was immersed in all matter of idolatry, and the hallmark of King Josiah's reign was the reformation he brought. Josiah smashed the idols of the temple. He removed the mediums and the sorcerers. He purged the pagan practices of the Canaanites from God's people. He discovered the book of the law, and he replaced all the wickedness with God's word. He restored the great feast of the Passover, and the Bible says that King Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, 2 Kings 22. So all would be well in Israel, under King Josiah. But not for long. 2 Kings 23, 29 tells us that Josiah was killed by Pharaoh Necho, the king of Egypt. After that, Josiah's son, Jehoiakim, takes the throne, but he's not like his father, Josiah. No, he is a tyrant. He kills innocent people. And 2 Kings 24, 9 says that Josiah's son did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this is what led to another rapid decline in Israel. They're taken captive by the Babylonians. The people are disillusioned. Political corruption advances turmoil and instability. And the rebellion mark God's people. And, and so this is the backdrop of Habakkuk's Complaints here. This is the backdrop of Habakkuk's lamenting here. This is the backdrop of Habakkuk's complaint. When Habakkuk cries out to God with these questions, how long and why, he's saying essentially, oh Lord, when you raised up Josiah, we were, we were doing so well. Why would you let him be killed by the king of Egypt? He's saying, finally, Lord, a king who would do what was right in your eyes. Why would you let this king and his wicked son now rule over us in this way? He says, essentially, oh, Lord, all of your work through King Josiah to restore your covenant, your Passover feast, your commandments. Why would you allow us now to enter back into such deviation from what is good and right? He's saying, why? Doesn't make sense. How long are you going to let this happen? Look at verse 3 now. It says, why do you make me see iniquity? Notice, and why do you idly look at wrong? These are very honest questions. And he's asking honest questions, and he's lamenting to God in a very reverent way. This is not wrong, loved ones. He's praying with faith, Lord, you can do something about this. I believe in your power. I believe in your strength. I believe in your sovereignty. It just looks like you're not doing anything. Why? 
Does that ever feel like God is on a vacation in your life? Do you ever feel like, I know God can do something about this, but he's just not doing it? And deep in your heart, you wonder, why? Well, you can genuinely trust him, and you can genuinely love him, and at the same time, you can seek him with these honest questions. Lord, I know you can do stuff about this. Why aren't you doing it? We all feel like that sometimes, don't we? Like Habakkuk, we often get weary with the world. How could our nation, founded upon Christian values with the word of God inscribed on its parliament buildings, deviate so far away from its beautiful beginnings? We were doing so well. Why, Lord? Why do you let this happen? How could the son or daughter that we raised to know Jesus turn their backs completely on the faith that we taught them so faithfully? I feel like we did everything so well, or we at least did our very best. What we're seeing doesn't make sense. Or how could God continue to allow false teachers to infiltrate the church all over the world? Why are strong, solid churches so few and far between and small in number, and yet teachers who teach false doctrine filling, filling, filling their stadiums? Oh, Lord, that doesn't make sense. How long are you going to let this happen? Why does the persecution of the church intensify? You hear reports around the world and you feel like, Is there any end in sight? This week I read about a pastor who was leading the underground church in China. He was falsely accused of conspiring against the Communist Party. One day he was driving. He found himself surrounded by four or five black SUVs. He was abducted and he hasn't seen his family since. I read about that. I'm just... And, and I'm telling you what's rising up in my heart. I'm just faithful, pastor, serving God and in the underground church. And why, Lord? It's not right. It's wrong. You can do something about this. And so the prophet sees all that's wrong in Israel. Goes on in verse four. Notice it. It says, So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. He's essentially saying, God, all of this injustice and violence, it's being precipitated by your inactivity. Now, he's not being disrespectful to God. He's he's expressing his faith. He's expressing honest concerns. He's lamenting. He's saying, I know who you are. I trust you. I know you. I love you. You are my rock. But but the longer you wait, it seems like all this injustice is going to continue to advance. 
It's an expression of Habakkuk's honest doubts before God. Maybe in the church, somehow we've been taught that it's not okay to ask questions in prayer. It can be sinful, but it not necessarily is. What we see in Habakkuk is a heart that trusts God, and the expression of his trust is the lamenting. And he finds a safe space with his God to reverently complain. Now, some of you are experiencing a lot of burdens in your life, and you don't know how to unburden your heart. You've talked to people, and you feel like nobody understands. And maybe you've found one or two people who do understand, but you're just not getting the soul rest that you need. And you feel like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I feel like I can't breathe. I feel a heavy burden on my heart, perhaps. What Habakkuk shows us is a way to unburden our hearts. A way to draw near to God. A way to be strengthened with peace. By saying to him, how long, O Lord, are you going to let this happen? I know. I know you can do something about it. Why is this happening? I know you are stronger than my foes. Verses 1 to 4 remain in the tension of unanswered prayer. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see that God is certainly not inactive. That he is indeed a prayer-answering God. That he definitely is not blind to the injustices of the world. And that his ways are not our ways. This is the reality that we are so often oblivious to in our Christian life. God's ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. Yes, we must take our burdens to him. Yes, we can seek him with honest questions and reverent complaints. But we must and we can do so knowing that God is working to strengthen us in ways that we ourselves are not looking to be strengthened. You see, we want immediate answers. And we want answers in the way that we think they should come. But one of the things that Habakkuk shows us as he questions and laments in prayer is that prayer really does have a transforming effect upon our lives and our hearts, not just to address what we're asking. That's in many ways on the surface. To come to God in prayer, to simply expect an answer. Yes, he's a prayer answering God. We're going to see that. But there's something deeper. Much deeper and more profoundly, prayer has a transforming effect on our lives to give us endurance and strength while we are waiting. But it's going to take us a lifetime to grow and to learn these lessons that God will act. God is trustworthy. 
God does love me. God does see my burden. God sees it more and understands it more than I do. But you know what he cares a lot about? He cares about my formation, my heart. And in the waiting, loved ones, he is doing a beautiful work of formation. In the waiting. Yesterday we had a prayer summit, about 40 of us gathered to simply do one thing, to seek God's face. It was a very beautiful and powerful time together, 7.30 in the morning until about 11.30, and we fasted and then had lunch together. It was a beautiful time for our church family. And at the end, when we were reflecting, a dear brother shared a story about how pastors had gathered, I think it was in South Korea, to pray for revival, to pray for the advance of the kingdom of God. They gathered to pray, and it wasn't for a hundred years that they began to see the growth and the gospel advance that South Korea knows today, that they are among the leading nations sending missionaries around the world, and particularly to the Muslim world. I was so blessed when I heard that, because often we're standing there in a prayer meeting, we're standing there and enjoying the prayer summit, and we're praying, we're praying with faith, but our immediate expectation is God answers tomorrow. And it dawned on me, and we shared this together yesterday as we were reflecting, what if what we're doing here is having a transforming effect on us? It's building our expectancy, but it's building our faith, and it's building our faith in the waiting that maybe it's going to be a 100 years before we see a revival in Toronto. Oh, I don't want to wait a 100 years. I want to see it now. But maybe we need to be willing to allow God to do the work in us, the work that says, I seek you for you, not for the benefits you give to me primarily. And if it takes a hundred years, if I don't get to see the revival, I will delight in you in prayer for you, not for the revival you can give to me. Amazing. Amazing. As I look at my life, I'm so short-sighted. I pray and I want God to answer right away. Rest assured, God is so good, isn't he? He does answer. He does answer so many of our prayers so fast. Sometimes in an hour, sometimes in a minute, sometimes in five minutes. Sometimes the deepest work he wants to do in us in prayer is in the seeking of his face, the asking of the honest questions, the lamenting to God from a heart that trusts him, and the forming of the heart to say, even if it takes a hundred years, and even if I don't get to see it, and even if the answer is not what I wanted, I'm praying because I love you, and I trust you, and that's enough for me to bring peace and joy to my burdened heart. Now, what would happen if God did that amongst a group of people, if he strengthened us to be people who went past the shallow surface of seeking God for immediate answers and towards the seeking of God to know that we are a people who are growing in peace and contentment of heart because it is enough for us to seek him for him 
and to grow in our intimacy with him through honest laments and honest questions. What are the burdens you're carrying today? If you're honest right now, some of you, maybe most of you are hearing what I'm saying. You're saying, I don't, I don't like that. There's something I want and I need it done now. There's something I need changed and I need it changed now. There's some injustice in my life and I need it addressed now. I don't like what you're saying, Jason. I don't want to wait a hundred years. No, I don't like that. Precisely why we need this message. God wants to give us something deeper than an immediate answer sometimes. And it is in that deeper contentment and the waiting that we truly find our peace. Let's pray together. And I want you right now to take your burdens. Would you hold your burdens right now? To hold your burdens and take them and hold them up to God. Habakkuk received an oracle, a burden, a load. And the entire book shows us that he took it to God. Do you know how powerful it could be in your life today if you would take that burden that you've been sitting on and stressing about and you would take it and you would give it to God right now? What is it for you? A troubled marriage, a rebellious teenager, financial difficulty, can't believe the way our country is going. You're appalled at the injustice and the corruption of governments in our nation around the world. What is it for you? What is the burden you are sitting on? It's stressing you out. It's crushing you. Whatever it is, hold it up and say, God, I'm choosing to bring this load, to bring this burden to you. Would you take it? In fact, maybe right now, You're experiencing a perplexing providence of God. You don't know it to be a providence. You don't understand what's happening, but you trust that he is sovereign and in control. So everything happening is being providentially overseen by God. Maybe now you can say, Lord, why have you allowed my teenager to turn? I don't understand. I trust you. Why? Why is my boss at work so hard on me? Lord, you can do something about it. I don't understand. But I want to ask you, why? How long are you going to let me battle this sickness? God, I trust you. I know you can heal me. I know you can do something about this, but I just want to ask you, how long, Lord? And as you unburden your heart to him, he will take your burden 
and he will fill you with faith. And he will give you strength. How long, O oh Lord? And why? I pray, Lord, you would help us to be a people who are so close to you. And in reverent love for you, to unburden our hearts and to lament. Fill my friends in this room with faith. Fill our church with faith. I pray that as we bring these questions and laments and we seek to go deeper with you in prayer, that you would give to all these people in this room such beautiful peace that you see everything and every wrong will be corrected in your way and in your time. So we trust you. We love you. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.